Baker Mayfield, undraftable, off my board. The Cleveland Browns select Baker Mayfield. What's up, everybody? Welcome into the OBR Film Breakdown. Your host, Jake Burns. It is your Thursday episode now. We have traveled through the week, and, you know, unfortunately, or or fortunately, whatever way you want to look at it, we get into the position groups a little later in the week than I, than I would like, and uh, it's just a lot going on. We do some Twitch shows on Monday and Tuesday that occupy occupy a lot of time, but are not just that, but I share them with you as a means to... Uh, hear good content. I think that the things discussed on those Twitch shows are are pretty good stuff, and and really I, I share a lot of my opinions on a, on a bevy of different topics in those shows that are uh, sort of centered on good roundtable based discussions. The mock draft format is really great. Uh, I like that three mock structure, and I think those are fun to share big off season talking points uh, with you. I think those are fun. And Pete's, uh, Pete Smith was on yesterday, and I thought that was a really, really good one to get Pete kind of in a one-on-one setting, pick his brain about some players. Going to join up with Pete next week, and if you pay any attention to me or you pay any attention to Pete's uh, perspective on quarterback, we are not 100% aligned. We're actually pretty pretty far on different ends of the spectrum with long-term uh, projections, not just 2022 season here coming up, but the, but the long-term projections and what it looks like with Mayfield. So... We are going to get together on a podcast next week, which I'll share on this channel and have a pretty long conversation about why we feel the way we do and whether the other person bends on any of those things. So keep your eye out for that. But I want to share that as uh, the time spent with Pete yesterday was was fresh. And uh, again, those are the most listened to episodes we have is when we do the, those mock drafts. And uh, I think I think I'm going to continue to share those and put those on here. So if you watch them live and you don't get a pod out of it the next day, I'm sorry. Uh, we'll try to rectify that later in the week like I do here with uh, more content, more episodes that are built on, more things going on. So obviously the Combine, full swing, wide receiver interviews, all the guys you wanted to hear from, you heard from, uh, heard about uh, who's participating in testing, who is not. Obviously we know Drake London is not. Got some ideas about things from Chris Olave not doing bench, uh, a couple other angles that are in the OBR write-up, so check that out on the front page and uh, you know what you can gather is that it went fine. Uh, it, talking points were uh, based on things that you would traditionally be asking these guys, whether they think they're uh, the best wide receiver in the class, what they think their strengths are, what they, uh, you know, com- what they how they compare to their peers. Would you be interested in playing for the Browns? If you talk to the Browns, all of them have talked to the Browns, obviously, because the Browns are going to talk to every wide receiver. It's not rocket science. And then. You know, you can check that out. Feel free to dig into it more. Clips were posted on Twitter through uh, Brad Stanbrook and Fred Greetham, our two live on-site uh, reporters. And, and and two, over the last two days, which I haven't really checked in fresh with you here, is Kevin Stefanski and uh, Andrew Berry both took time to chat with Media and Indy, which is pretty customary. Most most franchises have their GM or head coach there, and these things go on. Listen, I'm not even going to waste a single moment of your time having conversation uh, about what these two guys said. They are as buttoned up an organization as I have ever seen in terms of the guys at the top and their plan and the processes, okay? 
They are extremely buttoned up, and they will not, from the guys at the top, now you can talk about the dissension amongst the players last year and the drama, so on and so forth. Like, with Kevin Stefanski now, we're two years going into the third year with this guy. He is not going... You've got to find a way to curtail your questions in a way that gets you an angle on something. Like, you cannot just ask a question on improving production from the wide receivers. He's going to say the most generic things because they don't want to give away any angle of what their thought process is, right? Review the Browns passing game in 2021. He's not going to take, uh, he's not going to bury a player for that. He's going to, he's going to spread it around and he's going to take some blame himself. The same with uh, talking about Alex Van Pelt, why he moved off the quarterback room. You know, maybe I would ask a a different question there built on if Van Pelt, uh, you know, were, were, was involved in the in the in the footwork changes of Mayfield with him no longer as the quarterback coach. Does that mean Baker changes the footwork stand? Like we need more. He's going to just give you coaches speak, which is good. You don't want your friend. If if Andrew Barry and Kevin Stefanski were consistently leaking things or giving telltale signs about their thought process and what they're doing, like it doesn't take much, guys, to look around the NFL and see other GMs and head coaches who cannot quite figure out how to answer questions without giving away angles that they're they're looking to take, I wouldn't want these guys that much. You have to keep things close, right? I mean, Andrew Barry was even more broad. You, you get, you're going to question him about J.C. Treader and Jarvis Landry. He's not going to say anything. He's not going to give you a sentence that tells you he's leaning toward keeping them or a sentence that tells you he's leaning toward cutting them. Like, you're not going to get anything. You know, he's going to tell you, Every position is important. We look at the specialists. We're an expansion team. That's the way they these guys get behind closed doors and they have a very, a very specific plan. They will deviate from it in the right circumstances. We saw with JOK last year in the second round. But their plan, which most of us spend all day, week, months talking about what we think it is, you have no idea. If somebody's telling you they know it, they're lying. They don't know it. These guys keep everything buttoned up. The way they talk is two very intelligent Ivy League uh, educated men is in unison. And we just have to sit back and see it happen. Nobody saw the Conklin restructure coming when the Conklin restructure did. There's just, you can spend time predicting this, and I do too. We do mock shows and a whole bunch of other things. But like, this is... Oh, a franchise that is in unison with their vision, which I hope they can continue for a long period of time. They're not going to give anything away. You're going to hear people say they know this, that, and the other. I'm just telling you, they, these guys will not give away any angle of what they're trying to do ahead of time so teams can alter around them in the NFL, can alter their approach to counterbalance what Cleveland's trying to do. I like that about them. If those things were getting out of Berea... I would be really bothered by that because that's an advantage to other teams. So we sit back, we watch, react to the decisions that they make, try to understand their thought process, and never, ever, ever go into these, you know, these press conferences expecting Andrew Barry to give anything away about his thought process or approach uh, in terms of giving you a lean one way or the other. It's not going to happen. You're not going to get Kevin Stefanski to blame a player for anything that's happened, so quit expecting it. You know, life's largely about expectations, and when we get upset because expectations fail, you have to adjust your thought process. You know, So if you're three years deep with these guys and you're expecting them to be different than what they are, maybe you should alter, A, your line of questioning 
And B, if you're a reacting person to somebody, you're not in the position to ask questions, you probably should just sit back and, and, and don't get too deep into what he says, understand why he does it the way he does it, and be thankful for these guys. You know, I think, you, <laughs> I think they're running it the right way. We'll see if the results end up working out the way we hope they do, but uh, again, I think you should be thankful for what these guys do and how they do it and the approach. So listen, we're going to shift. I wrote an article that's up on the OBR homepage today. It's VIP for subscribers. It's on JOK, where he's at, the development curve, how he did compare to his peers, what the future looks like for him, the wide receiver room, and what his ceiling really is. Read that. Have a great guest, Josh Edwards, who's over at CBS, does all the rookie rankings for them, studies tape. No better guest to bring on to talk about JOK's rookie season from watching him at Notre Dame to how he translated among his peers in the NFL. So let's get over to that chat right now with Josh Edwards. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, so really, when I want to talk to, to, to somebody about rookie performance, somebody who focuses on it all the time, I thought Josh Edwards, Josh has been on this pod before, he's at Edwards CBS uh, on Twitter, you should be following him. Josh, I know you did year-long rookie reviews of film and, and ranked them throughout the year. JOK is exciting, we're going to get to the more granular details of his play, but like, what uh where did he rank for you kind of holistically among the class and and uh you know we'll deal with some of this. let's just talk where he ranked for you among uh some defensive peers yeah so michael parsons was kind of the unicorn um you know the defensive rookie of the year he finished number 2 on my list uh and then jok was the second defensive player um in my rankings and the second linebacker as well um you know he kind of he was a part of a larger pack. So once you get past Parsons, then it became very jumbled in terms of that next tier of defensive prospects. And initially, I thought JOK was going to be in that elite group. Yeah. Um, obviously, the injury set him back a little bit, but 
Parsons over the course of the year really distinguished himself. Um, and then you see JOK amongst that second group of defensive prospects. Okay, so second tier among, like uh, like you said, around uh, Javon Holland was the Oregon kid. I really liked him. He had a nice year as a safety. They used him to blitz a ton, didn't they? They kind of... They did. They, they, used, they used him in a, in a lot of single high coverage, um, allowing him to work downhill, and they used him in a lot of isolated blitzes as well. Yeah, so that that was a unique role for him. So I think that's an easier defined role, right, where he can he can sort of come in right away and have a have a nice have a nice piece of uh, uh, just pinning your ears back and playing. So uh, interesting, interesting angle there. Uh, I think that the, the Parsons thing, you know, the way they use that guy, it's, it's, I mean, he was up for defensive player of the year. So I don't think there's any slouch. Uh, uh, I wouldn't say slouch is the right way to put it, but there's any uh, issue with not finishing above Parsons. So the people, if you look at the grading metrics, and again, we're going to talk film. I don't, I don't rely on PFF to be the end all be all here, as you guys know listen to this pod but uh, jok ends up with a 76 total grade uh excelling in run defense where he was a 77 8 and finished behind pete werner uh and in between uh fourth overall from the class and these are guys with 20 percent of the 1218 baseline snaps um you know so so he's between bolton and, and werner there so like you're looking at werner played uh, significantly fewer snaps, 394 to JOK's 597. So are you liking him over Werner and Bolton from this class? Or like, I know the grade's a little different than your rankings. So tell me what, let's dig into what you like about JOK, what he did well for you to appear as the number one inside linebacker from the class. Yeah, so Bolton came on pretty late in the year. I think if he had played at that level that he was playing towards the end of the season, he probably would have finished higher on the list. Um Pete Warner, you know, he was in kind of a reserve role for most of the year as well. Um, you know, JOK was a starter the entire season when he was healthy for the most part, whereas Warner was, you know, a reserve. And then he came in when there were some injuries to Demario Davis um, and the rest of that linebacker unit. So I thought when you look at those two players specifically, because that's what what it boils down to is those two uh, at the linebacker position, when you're looking at aggregate rankings over the course of the year, um, JOK just there's something about the way that he plays the game, the way that he plays kind of the, with this reckless abandon yet controlled at the same time. I mean, you can see his brain working, you can see that he's in the play in the right place at the right time. Um, the pace in which he plays the game just gives me this greater confidence that he's going to be one of those elite caliber linebackers in the NFL moving forward. Whereas I think Pete Warner probably has a little bit more to show and you know, may show more once he's given a larger opportunity. So with JOK, something that I thought stood out was I kind of deemed it as he plays linebacker like a running back. Like he, you know, okay, let me ask you this, and then I'll tie in my thoughts of why I think he plays like an air quotes running back at the position. He was a guy who was a thriving overhang player at, at, uh, at Notre Dame. He was a big part of their defense there, almost as a hybrid uh, we we all tried to label him as something in draft prep, you know, given like the star or some people call it a viper position where you're kind of off the edge, kind of in the box, kind of as an overhang, kind of more curl flat. And then the Browns said we drafted him. We think he is a uh, a full time inside backer. And I was like, OK, that's kind of alarming. Interesting. Were you surprised that he was able to translate as an inside backer based on your pre-draft evals as well as he did? 
uh, as an inside backer, or did you think there would be a bigger learning curve with with kind of coming off of the freelance more? He had more freelance opportunities at Notre Dame. I don't think that's deniable. Yeah, I thought it was going to take him a little bit longer to pick that up. Um, you know, coming into the draft, everybody's question was, you know, is he going to be able to fit run gaps um, and contribute in that way? Because as you noted, he was more of that overhang safety that's going to play downhill uh, and make plays in space, which it's kind of interesting when you look back at the season because most of his issues were more so in space um, and he graded better as a run defender than maybe we had anticipated. So I was a little bit surprised in the way that he was able to take that on so seamlessly. Um, but when you look at his athleticism and the way that he plays the game, he doesn't allow himself to take on blocks. Um, he gets off blocks when he does. And I think that's very important when you're working in the box. So once he showed that he was capable of doing that, then, you know, it kind of eases your concerns a little bit and lets you think that, you know, this might be a little bit more translatable than, than what we, what we saw at Notre Dame. And it's not to say he couldn't do it in Notre Dame. We just didn't really see that, um, in the way that they used him. I definitely think that's fair. When you go back, like I wrote up a pre-draft on him and and it's there, it's right. It's there, but it's like, everybody was worried whether that would translate to me. Like you said, you know, you worry about, you know, can a, can a linebacker take on a direct block from, from, from an O-lineman and be able to disengage? Well, JOK says just, you're not going to touch me. He has a keen ability to make you miss with similar moves to what wide receivers and running backs do in a phone booth, a jab step, a one plant, a double shimmy with the shoulders. He made offensive linemen look silly all year. And I thought that was an extremely unique thing about him was how he was able to maintain run fit and he got better at run fits as the season went on in terms of understanding fallback fits and how they how they work their nickel into their fits. Like I was just blown away how quickly he was able to come in and put himself in positions to make plays while maintaining his responsibility. Because so often guys who do that, uh, they know that maybe they have the B in this run fit or their C fit or they're scraping to D that they'll 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 try to make somebody miss. And when you try to make somebody miss or you try to take take a different route than is through the lineman. It, it, it leads you to the situation where you're out of place, you're giving up a, an, an angle issue, and he didn't have that. So you mix in the ability to make linemen miss. They can't get their hands directly on you. Like you said earlier, Josh, his ability to be an explosive, immediate, right now, full speed, playing almost like, I'm sure you would agree with this, there were times where he was playing at a different speed than everybody else on the defense. You got a really good player here in that regard. I thought he was comfortable enough in coverage, uh, not perfect, but comfortable enough. Uh, I started to take some creative risks. The thing that stands out, though, when you look at the grading, and it's impacted heavily, is the 15 missed tackles charted by PFF. I, I, I see 15, you off air here before we started, said you had him at 16. Is that a cause for concern for you, or do you think that, like, I have this theory, Josh, that not all missed tackles are created equal. Some missed tackles in space are completely different than a guy inside the tackle box who you get an arm on, slow them down, redirect their entire path, and it ends up a tackle for a yard, but you get a missed tackle. Like, Do you see big missed tackles like that, or just he's doing his job, feeling he's where he's supposed to be and is, I don't know, I guess I call them like low-grade missed tackles. Does that make sense, or am I sounding stupid on that? No, it makes sense. Um, I think it's a combination of both. Because, you know, the plays that you're suggesting um, are plays that he, you know, conceivably shouldn't have been in the mix to make. Um, a lot of plays where he was working sideline to sideline and suddenly, you know, he's shooting gaps. He's in a position to make a play that most linebackers are not capable of making. 
at the same time, you do see some some issues with his ability to break down his footwork in space, um, you know, square up and make a form tackle. That kind of stuff you do see a little bit. And I think that's just a little bit with the, you know, quick pace in which he plays the game. Sometimes it's a little bit too, too erratic. Uh, and that comes with being a young player. I mean, as he gets more mature, you would like to think that those are going to happen fewer and fewer occasions um, and that that tackling number is going to come down. Uh, you know, whether it's 15 or 16, that's that's obviously an issue. It was 13th most among linebackers, which when you consider the time that he missed, um, there were linebackers that had played significantly more than him that, uh, you know, were in were ranked above him. So if you had done it by a snap-by-snap basis, that's going to be even higher, um, which is a concern. So when you break it down, like you said, not all missed tackles are created equally. Uh, and I do think there's some positives, but at the same time, there is some area for concern and some some areas where he can improve moving forward. Yeah, off the top of my head, I cannot think of many situations where his missed tackle directly led to something bigger happen uh, happening. Uh, maybe it's a it's a huge broken play. I do think he had some like he could have had more TFLs. He could have had more stop plays that they chart if he just was the guy to bring him down. Now there's huge value to redirecting a guy and sending him into a different run alley than he was going to go right or slowing a guy down. You you let the slips off at the last second that kind of thing. So I didn't. You know, I was actually surprised by it when I saw that number looking before we started and, and, and in my write-up is like those missed tackles were not as bad as those look, but I definitely want him to clean it up because my vision in my write-up, Josh, for him is what's the next step? Well, the next step is that you're an every down backer. You're the green dot. You're the middle linebacker. The role shifts. You have more interior run fits than you do. Otherwise, you're obviously heavier on the mental side of things, communicating with your teammates, all of that. You're more hook zone defending than you are running to curl flat covering grass. Maybe they think he's a long-term will. I don't know. You could definitely green dot your will linebacker. There's nothing in the rule book that says you can't. Uh, maybe the Browns decide, hey, we'll piece Anthony Walker and Jacob Phillips together. Maybe I just figured out something on the fly there, Josh, with my thought process. But like, is he, in your opinion, a guy that could shift a mic? Would you rather see him stick at will? Do you think he's a green dot leadership type player based on interviews you've heard and what you think of him and like, do you see a trajectory as one of the NFL's best or is he just going to be a steady presence for the Browns? I'm just curious what you think the ceiling is there as a caveat to that last question. You know, I think back to his first press conferences with uh, the media when he arrived in Cleveland. And I, I just kept thinking, this is such a mature player for his age. I mean, he com- he comes across so well. He obviously has a high football IQ Um, I think if you needed him to play the mic, he could probably do it. Uh, but I think I would be more comfortable with him sticking at that will position. Um, and I don't think I would make him a a green dot either. Uh, just because I think his, his skill set, the way he plays so fast. And I think a lot of that, you don't want to bog him down with too many responsibilities. You want to be able to free him up. Um, to make those plays. So ideally, you would have another veteran, maybe it's a safety, uh, although John Johnson had his issues with with the green dot this year. Ideally, you have like a safety that's going to be able to handle that responsibility. We've seen a lot more teams in the NFL use a safety as that green dot player. I would like to see JOK be this player that isn't going to have to think too much before the snap. 
Um, a guy that's just going to be able to read and react as the play develops. That's the role that I see him excelling in the most. Um, the issues with him being an every down Mike, I think is the physicality through the routes. Um, I think he saw a little bit, a little bit of that with Travis Kelsey going into that matchup. You know, he was talking a little bit about, um, you know, how he was going to stack up against Travis Kelsey. And I think that matchup went a little differently than he expected because Travis Kelsey is just a different animal. I mean, you know, JOK or any, any linebacker in the NFL, they're going to have their issues trying to defend uh, Travis Kelsey, but you kind of saw the physicality difference in the way that he played the game in that particular um, outing. So that's kind of my issues with JOK being that every down Mike, um, you know, but this is a guy that you don't want to take off the field either. So it's, it's, it's a very complex argument, I think, and one that the Browns have to sort through this offseason. Yeah, I'm not sure that's going to get enough talk. We'll we'll get there in the in the summer months when we start to break down every stupid angle we can find. And this isn't obviously that important. Uh, it's just a matter of me. To me, the questions build around for him is like, how do they get the most out of him? Right? How do they keep him on the field? I just don't want to see him as a a player who they take off the field because of a, a reason built around not calling plays or something. So if if JOK like if you're three guys on your defense who are going to be on the field every snap, JOK. John Johnson for next year and Denzel Ward or your other corner too, maybe Greg Newsom, like that's fine with me, right? Your, your point is spot on that just because you don't call the plays doesn't mean you have to come off the field. So I think the Browns have a chance to work some different angles with guys at the second level of the defense that don't involve them calling plays, but maybe getting a Anthony Walker on the field early downs, Jacob Phillips and his athletic ability on the field a little bit later. I do agree with you as well. Will linebacker is the best fit for him because it allows him to do more in space and take advantage of that speed uh, that is so unique for him. It's just, it's, it's right now speed is what I call it, man. And I know you've heard of that phrase too. It's just, he's, he's up at his top level of speed. So quick acceleration is just not talked about enough in any position. How quickly can you get to top speed that you possess Right. That's that's something that he has and why like you watch him and he's playing at a different speed, not because he runs a significantly better 40 yard dash than Jacob Phillips or somebody else, but it's because he can get there right now. Right. No question. I mean, you talk about uh, the speed, you're talking about the burst, you know, your ability to read and react, um, how quickly you can get up to that speed at the same time. We talk about the closing speed, his ability to redirect and close in space. That's where he's elite. I mean, he has those movement skills, his fluidity in his hips, everything that you look for in that regard, he is elite in that category. I mean, that's that's what gets you so excited about a guy like JOK. And then you mentioned Jacob Phillips there as well. That's kind of the the wild card in all of this because I feel like that's a guy that they want to count more on moving forward. Yeah. So if you can identify a Jacob Phillips and a JOK that are capable of coexisting on the field at the same time, that's an ideal situation for Cleveland moving forward because they're both very athletic players. Um, and Phillips was, you know, pretty physical relative to his size. So if you're able to have those two players on the field at the same time without sacrificing that physicality, I think that's kind of an ideal situation if you're Joe Woods in this defense moving forward. I think so too. I think so too. That's where the flexibility gets to. And I've, I've thought long and hard kind of here this week about if they need to expand their linebacker position or if they're set and the, 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 the whole thing starts with what you think the ceiling of JOK is and whether you feel like you need to add some other element to what he does. And I don't, th- I don't think they do. I think they, they got a player that should be on the field a lot. 
Um, his injury, I'm not concerned about the injury. If you go back and watch it against the Cardinals, it was a really weird fluky roll-up. So it's not like it was a out in the middle of the field, and a soft tissue or something like that. So I'm encouraged by his durability too. Um, you know, even the, the nasty shot, if you remember, Josh, that nasty shot he took at the Chargers game where it was like, uh, what, what happened again? Like the helmet came off and it, and it was, uh, Oh yeah. Where it was where some he... contu- it was the same thing Joe Burrow had happened to him. And I yeah. cannot think of it off the top of my head. It was like where his helmet got lifted and then it, uh, it's a throat. <laughs> it was a throat thing. It was a throat issue. Right. I think it was a throat issue where like he had the, 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 yeah, but he got hit from behind. It was, he it got was like weird. hit in the back of the head, but it was deemed a throat contusion, I believe. So, yeah, it was uh, weird because he went to the hospital right after. I remember that, that right. they was, we we're like, huh, we had never heard of Burrow having that. We never heard of it. And then Burrow gets it and JOK. And it's like, well, this is new. So, anyway, feel really good about him. Uh, this is a really great uh, intro to what he does well, what he has to improve upon, and where he can go. So, make sure again, guys. I'm sure Josh will do it next year. His coverage of the draft is is uh, is top notch. He is going to be. Uh, I'm holding Josh to this. He's going to come on again and talk prospects as we get closer. Uh, we'll have him on to talk about many of the people he studied. But after the year, it doesn't stop. If you want to know film based study rankings of these guys that get drafted, he's the go to source for this. Him and I have some banter back and forth when we're talking about some of these guys, which I always appreciate. So. At Edwards CBS, make sure you're following him, Josh, the listeners of this pod. Myself, man, we really appreciate your time. Of course, man. Happy to do it. And, uh, you know, I'll take you up on coming back and talking some draft prospects. Might even have you on to do a little mock draft, so get yourself prepared for that. Love it. I'm down. mock draft. All right, we'll hold you to it. All right, Josh. Thanks, man. All right, that's it for your Thursday episode. Thanks to Josh Edwards for stopping by, sharing his thoughts on JOK and many of those rookies. A lot of work goes into that. Josh has been gracious enough to help us out at the OBR with some content. You know, Josh wrote for us for a while when CBS was a bit more affiliated in their NFL network at 247 Sports. So he's definitely been around Brown Circles, met him up at camp one time. Really nice dude and and works hard. He's helped us out with some film angles and and a program uh, for for all 22 films. So very thankful for, for Josh's efforts. So Again, shout out to him. Make sure you're following him on Twitter. We will have Josh on again at some point, probably, like I said, for one of those dueling mocks. So keep an eye out for that. Reminder, JOK Film, uh, analysis, all of that in written form for VIP subscribers. Check that out. It's available for you on the OBR. And another reminder that if you if you already pay $9.99 like we do for Paramount Plus, for whatever reason, you're into the shows, you're into movies they provide, or your son, like my son, is obsessed with Paw Patrol, you get that at the OBR and you get Paramount Plus all together for the same price. So you get access to the OBR, uh, all the premium content, the forums, all of it. You get access to 247's entire college football network where they do a whole bunch of insider recruiting information and, and other fun topics across the country. And then you get Paramount Plus. So you should do it. It's a great offer. It's a great deal. Take advantage of it. Appreciate, as usual, I always say it, but your support for this podcast, the Twitch, and our website. It's a big community at the OBR, and you guys are the driving force. The podcast numbers month-to-month perpetually amaze me. So thank you to you guys for listening, and the content uh, of the conversations we have on social, those always are important to me. It makes this whole thing worth doing. So thanks to you for that again. Hopefully getting your Fridays with John Colosimo back tomorrow. He seems to be doing much better health-wise and excited to have a good a good conversation with John because there's a lot of fun topics to to broach as, as the Combine is right in the thick of uh, its most important 
time with position groups, and the Browns are going to be a, a heavy player in a lot of these guys' uh, futures and, and, and bring them in for visits and all of that stuff, which is what we will be tracking. So thanks to, again for joining. Have a great Thursday, and as usual, go Browns. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.